Thanks for joining us for the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast, a podcast to enrich your soul, where we have conversations with inspiring people about all things property, business, and life. And now, the host of Small Talk Big Ideas, Ian Ugarte. Hey there, welcome to this episode of Small Talk Big Ideas. And today we talk to Rachel, someone who's had a significant impact on my life. She calls herself the Earth Pirate, a lot of herbal medicine and plant medicine. It may not be completely property focused, but there is some very interesting property stories in there. So enjoy today's talk. As always, you can follow us on all our social media channels or you can go to ianugarde.com.au. That's your surname, Rachel what? Gagan. Gagan. Yeah. Um, Rachel, where, where were you born? I was born in Ipswich, just south of Brisbane. Ipswich? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was watching, I was watching some comedians talk about that the other day. And they were in, I'm Lane on Woodley and they're saying, you know, um, we could have we gone to hell, but instead we went to Ipswich, <laughs> which <laughs> yep. was far worse. Um, so you born in Ipswich and then you did all your schooling there? Yeah, finished all my schooling there and then immediately jet off overseas when I was 17. Where'd you go to? I went to Scotland. Why Scotland? I was, England, whatever, the UK was the only place that you could get a working visa as a 17-year-old right. for me. So I had to go to the UK. That's young, 17. That's, yeah, you've always had a lot of confidence? I think adversity drives you to have whatever skills you need. So why, so why is it that you wanted to get out? Like, did um, you want to get out or was it just you just wanted to find something No, else? no, I needed to get out. Just like not a good living situation right. and, you know, being forced to have to um, pull from older maturity states to cope with my kind of family situation. So yep. I was pretty smart and got a job at like 13 and saved 10 grand so that by the time I left school, I'm left at 17 and went overseas. That's good going, hey. Um, maybe you can talk to my daughters. <laughs> Work is not for them. Um, One of them said to me the other day, I'm not going to get a job until I know what I want to do and the job that I love. Um, Oh, oh, geez. (laughs) That could be like till they're 40. That could be never. Yeah, that might be never. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people never work out what what they're passionate and what they really love. And you only find yourself like in the world. You're not like a bystander finding yourself. You have to be embedded into it. Mm. Uh, That's that's interesting. Okay, so you go to Scotland. How long did you spend there? I spent like six months kind of moving and living around England, Scotland. I was like mostly woofing on farms and... So tell what, because people may not know what woofer is. Oh, woofing's like you volunteer on an organic farm and you just find yourself like growing organic food and caring for animals and you get accommodation and food in exchange for it. So I just found myself kind of roaming around like, I think coming into like a sobriety around what my needs actually are, like... How cheap can I live? Mm-hmm. What do I actually need? And like, what does it actually cost to be, you know, a being on the planet? So, so what So, what did you get it down to? Did you work it out? Don't need that much. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, food for sure. Like community became a really big thing because that wasn't in the places I was going. So it became apparent that I like need people, people who are closer to me, yep. um, need to feel seen by people and to see people deeply. But other than that, like realized pretty quickly that, a lot of what we're um, exchanging our time and energy for are things that we don't need in our society. Yeah. So yeah. It came back really clear and also a little bit alienated from society here. So what does that mean? 
what was it what was the difference between there and here oh no well because i was just traveling and like living on the land a lot and volunteering in various youth group things like i was just living really cheaply and squatting and just oh. kind of like getting on free public transport and just finding my way without uh, testing testing a lot of bounds in my mind about belief systems of authority and not really getting into too much trouble but then when i came back here and moved to melbourne and got amongst like city life it just didn't it just never really made sense again after being a bit wild because you mentioned the term squatting and and we've had a very short discussion over it um in melbourne you were squatting in in a warehouse yeah it's kind of a bit of a culture down in melbourne that people have there are like businesses that own warehouses that are totally not being used, but they've still got power, some of them, and even water connected. Mm-hmm. And we used to break into them and deck them out into like living spaces and have parties in there and get street artists in. and you street artists yet, right? Yeah. So like graph up the place and turn it into like a living situation and so, okay, this live is a for bizarre. free. For, from a property owner <laughs> who values the property that they have, um, and I, I'd be okay with it if it was sitting there and someone said, oh, can we move in? But yep. you get in there, you squat, you then start um, putting graffiti on it to make it look how you want it. Yeah. And then um, live there. The the basis of that's really interesting because did you say that you changed the key locks on the place too? Um. Well, yeah. We <laughs> <laughs> put our own locks on. <laughs> Look, I didn't have a lot of respect for authority and it was, you know, just sort of looking around at homelessness and looking around at like how society works. I was going through a phase where I really wanted to test what it is to what it is to sustain yourself and how and I was it was challenging a lot of the rules. And I felt kind of entitled to. So it was like it's an empty warehouse that's just like running power. And doing nothing. And doing nothing. Empty space. And so we just were utilizing things. And so we're talking warehouse like Cold warehouse concrete floors? Yeah, or? yeah, but we would like get pallets and deck it out. And they became really cool. We'd like make them into those circus tent places and there were kitchens and... Right. Yeah, drag-in furniture. <laughs> <laughs> like, and sometimes it would continue on for a while. You could stay there for six but, months. Until so six months is probably the longest? There was one that went for four years. I wasn't there for the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it sort of depends who's squatting. Like it got a bit too loud. And once you start, the people start having parties and it gets loud, it draws attention. Yeah. And so, um, so with that attention draw, was it police or the landlord or the agent? I think it was police generally. I've never got involved in any of that and right. was just moving around, living on a bike and squatting in warehouses. And I just think that's amazing. How long did you do that for? Over a period of like a year. Yeah, right. You mentioned two things there. Um, firstly, authority, that you didn't have respect for authority. Does that mean you do have respect for authority now? I think there are structures in place that serve the greater humanity. And, you know, also though, I work for myself. I've put myself in a situation where I don't have to answer to too many people. And so in ways, I have respect for all beings, but I also don't obey all of the rules. Right. Because I don't think they're all made with the highest intentions. Yeah. I agree that some are controlling sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's how a lot of people would say it. The other word you mentioned was entitlement. And I talked about my daughters. Um, Oh, yeah. So tell me about that. I guess I've been of the mindset um, that we were born on the earth and that we it sort of feels like we have to spend our whole life just trying to 
like moving through indebtment and struggling and slaving our way just to kind of get back a piece of land that I actually feel was our entitlement to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I sort of live with this slight sense of entitlement as to like this land that we live on is, it can't really be privately owned. Well, maybe it can in our society structures, but on another level, like L-O-R-E law, it's not anybody's. Yeah. And so L-O-R-E is the indigenous law. Yeah. 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 So in that sense, at the time being, you know, 19 or so when I was in Melbourne doing that, I didn't really care for people's like ownership over land because I felt that the whole thing was a fallacy and that me occupying space was my entitlement Mm -hmm. and me having safety and a house to live in and food was just like, just kind of like a right of being on earth. So I was just playing with that a lot at the time, which had me, you know, just respect other people's private property. Um, I do remember the first, one of the first, the first date um, with my um, um, soon to be ex-wife, um, amicable ex-wife, uh, 25 years ago. I explained to her that I own property and whatever. And she goes, but how can you own the land? You don't own the land. Yeah. Um, and it was a it was a bizarre thought for me at the time because I'd been indoctrinated to the fact that then I developed an understanding and empathy, not being in that situation um, for the indigenous culture. And I just think, wow, like if it wasn't the English, it would have been the Dutch, and if it wasn't them, it would have been someone else. The same yeah. with South America, which was a really impactful. I did the Machu Picchu marathon, and um, it was really impactful for me coming from a Spanish, I'm Australian born from Spanish migrants. And what the Spanish, what the Spaniards did to South America is disgraceful. Um, and yeah, I, 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 my two worlds collided. Yeah. Wow. And um, I remember getting on a stage, I, I did the Machu Picchu marathon, um, came back to Australia about three days later, I was standing on a stage in front of 600 people and I walked up and I, I'm one of the very few speakers in the wealth creation um, industry that actually does a welcome to country or an acknowledgement of country. And I started explaining the, the boundaries of it was Sydney, so I, the Gadigal people, and I knew the boundaries and I explained the boundaries and I just broke down. Like I was on stage for about 20 seconds and then I, here I am sobbing inconsolably wow. and the whole crowd was going wow what's going on here and it was because i realized that my affinity to indigenous in australia is based on the cultural damage that the spaniards did in south america yep. um and i've got a photo i've got a photo with all the with all the guys that helped us carry bags so we're running with a backpack they're carrying 25 kilos to get to the next station for us um through machu picchu like these guys are hard workers and I've got a photo amongst them all, amongst all the porters, and you, like, I just blend in. <laughs> like I'm, it's like spot Ian out of it. Like, it's, where's Wally? Where's Ian? Um, but um, anyway, I just thought that was an interesting story. The okay, so you do the squatting, you do Melbourne. Are you, you're not working at all. How do you how do you pay for food at that time? No, I just had I had a gym membership so that I could shower, and that was kind of my only. Thing that I paid for and at the time some friends had keys to different um I don't know what you call them it's like Coles bins or something oh yeah and we, we'd go and like get food food out of the storage out of the the chuckout bins. Yeah. yeah yeah so it was yeah it was a definitely a phase of my life that I, I don't really I'm not I'm not replicating that now but I learned a lot about what our needs actually are mm-hmm. and how little you can live off and still and have so much time on your hands to be creative 
Yeah. So live, so living basic to give yourself more time. Mm. I mean, yeah. you, you can see, you can see what the um complexity. Of, you've walked in today, and you can see the complexity of my life <laughs> every day. And I think that sometimes, like sometimes, I think maybe this is not for me. And um, you're in pretty deep, Ian. <laughs> that's the problem, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> when you smother yourself with tar and you've only got water to wash it off, <laughs> it becomes difficult. Um, okay, so you then, what's the next phase after squatting? Oh, um, I started working at organic food shops. I was always really interested in like alternative ways of farming. Yeah. And so I was working at some organic food shops. And then I went out to Central Australia and I was um, living at Yulara. It's the... Uh, as rock resort yep and i was doing tour guiding out there like taking people out on the land right. and introducing them to plants and telling them what the indigenous use was and i think that really sparked my interest as to, into like herbal medicine so then eventually i kept traveling overseas back and forth and going to different indigenous cultures in india and nepal and mm -hmm. south america and mexico and eventually landed on the sunshine coast and finally my bug for traveling just like dissipated and i just felt at home when i got here yep which was really nice and surprised me that it was so close to where I grew up because we'd come up here on holidays when I was a kid and it was really small up here. Um, and then I started studying herbal medicine. Yep. So, you, so you've gone into um, so the herbal medicine as in the naturopath's herbal medicine? Yeah. yeah. Naturopathy is really similar to herbal medicine. Mm -hmm. but yeah. But you could liken it to that. How long? Is it a long course? No, it was three years. Three years. That's long. Okay. Um, <laughs> I couldn't imagine studying again for three years. Uh, I did it once. It was enough. The um, well, that's not entirely true. I did my degree in three years. So I've done other study that took longer, but you know. Uh, so the herbal medicine component, you're now qualified and you've been practicing for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? What What's the What's the power of the herb? Ooh, there's so many different aspects to herbal medicine, like. When I did the course, I wasn't doing it for any kind of career-based agenda. It was just like, oh, this sounds really interesting. And I'd always, you know, just followed what I was interested in. I didn't really have too many plans. I was really actively trying to shake up a lot of my programming and just try to be open-minded and present. So mm -hmm. I would just follow what my heart was being lit up by. And I was taking an interest in herbal medicine. So I studied it with no incentive of actually practicing. And it wasn't until the like last six months that I realized oh, I could actually be a herbalist. And then this like kind of title and this like egoic thing came in as to like, I'm a herbalist. Mm -hmm. No, I practice as a herbalist and I have a title. So I did start doing the title thing and practiced for, I've been practicing for a few years, but there's so many sides to it. And I really wonder which, which aspect I'm really drawn to. Like, I think there's anything you can get involved in. You can get involved in it from so many different angles. And I've always been growing plants. Like the whole idea around herbal medicine actually started with I would grow plants like I was really poor I never had any money and I would have to be really resourceful and I think I've honed some really cool skills through that mm -hmm. and so I would grow plants which essentially cost nothing it's like seeds are they're basically free mm -hmm. and then I would sell them on eBay and I'd make like 20 bucks and I'd be like oh my god I made 20 bucks and then I just kept doing it and it was like I made 50 bucks I made 100 bucks and then it's like I just was turning money out of nothing yep. because plants were free yep as far as costs go. Uh, and then that was like, I think I could do this. Like, I think I could, this feels awesome. I'm sustaining myself from so little so that I can have lots of time on my hands to explore my consciousness and explore society. And that's kind of what led me there. So 
when I was graduating and thought, oh, I could actually be a herbalist. I don't know. I still play with like, if that even what I, is that even what I am? I just practice herbal medicine. I'm into it, but I love growing plants. At the end of the day, it's probably more where I would say I love foraging and creating recipes of how to use herbal medicine, but I actually do consult with clients and I'm just kind of, I don't know, I'm turning 30 and I'm at this little phase now that's like, I feel like I need to hone something rather than have my finger in so many different areas. And so I'm, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just playing with ideas. And I'm not sure exactly where I land. The power of herbal medicine, it's a holistic model at heart and it connects all aspects of your being because it's a whole plant's living organism. Like it's not segregated out into individuated components. Yeah. So what effect that has on a person is like, like sees like, like attracts like, um, start interacting with your whole being as one unit rather than I have a headache. Mm -hmm. You start being able to look at yourself as, from many layers all at once. Yeah. That's what I love about herbal medicine. It's not even the herbs. It's the it's the mindset that the practice of using herbal medicine has been created out of. It's really integrated from a holistic model. So it's more of an inner, inner soul, inner, is that what you mean? Yeah. There's like a, there's a vitalistic aspect to it, yeah. which is like there's an essence that runs through all living things and it's the vital force itself that's healing and that we have that. So it doesn't really matter so much about all the, like which herb it's like more about using the life force itself to enhance your life force so that you activate your own inner healing capacity. Cause it's got its own life too. I mean, do you get a kick out of planting a seed and watching it grow? Oh, it's amazing. I'm blown away by it. Yeah. It is so simple. And, and, and so just to have little kids plant stuff and watch it, that yeah. gives them that buzz. Yeah. But as we seem to fall away from that. Yeah. And sometimes life is so simple and we, and we fall away from that. So, um, with you, so you've also done a massage. Yeah. I studied Zentai Shiatsu two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I've been practicing some body work. It's like, as soon as I graduated from herbalism school, <laughs> I just had this dream and it said like, I, I, I had like a little ego trip for a few weeks there that was like, I'm a herbalist now. <laughs> I am qualified. And then I had this dream that was like, you know, nothing. You only need to do a body work therapy now. And so I signed up for a massage course that was created here on the Sunshine Coast and it's really amazing therapy. And I find myself doing a lot more massage than consulting with clients. Right. Um, I think because it takes me out of my own mind. When I'm consulting, I'm in my mind and there's a lot there. But on a personal level, I like being in my body more than my mind. Um, and massage brings me into my body. Right. So how I met you was I went and watched the premiere of a movie called Dosed, yep. which is about plant medicine and um, uh, drug addiction and, and uh, you know, a, a lady that they documented coming off that drug addiction. Um, and then you and two others spoke at the end um, as a Q&A. And what I noted about you was that there was a level of, humility and centeredness that was different to a lot of people that i've met and so mm. that was it said it was not it was a, a, a nice energy to see um i'd already gone down the path of plant medicine with someone else and um i didn't i didn't even ask any questions i didn't see you afterwards or anything like that because it wasn't even in my frame of mind uh, and I thought I'd I, so after doing a little bit of plant medicine with someone else, I sort of thought, oh, I'll just look it up. So 
I didn't I didn't remember your name or anything, so I just went back to the, and found the announcement for the premiere and the Q and A, and I found Rachel, and then I found your business, which is Wild Medicine, yeah. right? W Y L D, um, and lo and behold, you're twenty minutes up the road. <laughs> I thought, oh, how awesome is this? Um, so plant medicine, like, what's the best way to describe that? I mean, it's an extension of herbs, really. These herbs. It's essentially herbal medicine, but it's entheogenic herbal medicine. So it's like specifically plant medicine gets used for herbs that are simulating or bringing on an experience. It's like a godlike experience. And then you're finding a divinity within yourself or within the plant itself, like God-inducing plants. So what's the actual, so what does the body take on and convert to create? So in, in its, so if anyone says psychedelics, yep. that's essentially a, a term for plant medicine generally yeah generally um so what is it within the scientifically what is it that happens within the body that creates that it changes per plant because they're made up of different constituents but they're all locking into receptors within our body mm-hmm. usually serotonin receptors for most of the psychedelics utilize the serotonin system and it seems to be that when these tryptamines that are in most of the psych there's like two different main classes of psychedelics and tryptamines is a big one of them and they look into the serotonin receptors and when that happens it seems to have the effect of breaking down our own boundaries mm-hmm. of what we um classify as ourself and that could also be called like ego dissolving because we but it could also be like ego merging because we seem to merge into like the self at large like a capital self um which is what the serotonergic compounds do in nature. So it's not like these plants were necessarily created for our consumption. They have a role in the ecosystem. Psychedelics have a role in the ecosystem and that is to break down the the individuated being of a plant to, to merge into a more collective sense of the forest and to share information from that state. So a lot of information is shared through the mycorrhizal network through... We're talking avatar. Kind of. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's a nice analogy. Well, commu- they're all communicating in some way and, it's, and yeah. it makes that whole um, yep. vein system come together. Now, psychedelics are illegal in Australia. So what we're talking about here is um, in some countries overseas, it's not that they're illegal. It's just that they're, they're, not, they're neither. Um, yep. So that's the basis of the conversation we're having. So with that said, why is it illegal? Was it used in the past? Why? Where are we at now? Definitely these plants have been used in the past. Like peyote is maybe the oldest documented psychedelic for thousands of years in Central America and North America. Um, For sure, we have a long history of use of psychedelics. It's really only recent history, the last 100 to 150 years that laws in Western countries especially and then other countries following their legal structure has come down so hard on psychedelics. Um. From some of the research I've done, it could be really connected to racial um, discrimination because of different cultures using certain substances and then that um, by prohibiting that substance, it being a way to uh, like come down hard legally on certain races. So if that was to be true and we're not saying it is, yeah. can you give us an example? Example would be um, making opium illegal in the States to right. target Chinese people. Right. So... That there, it seems like the war on drugs is rooted in racism mm-hmm. at its at, at the start, but where it's grown to and how it's been perpetuated feels like a war on consciousness at this point. 
And I'm sure at points along the way, there would have just been a lot of misunderstanding and fear mongering. But I think at certain levels, that was very calculated. Well, I mean, LSD has been well documented around the Vietnam War where it was sort of knocked out. Yeah. Because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the soldiers were taking LSD and viewing the world in a different way and went, oh, our truth is very different to what the actual, what we're doing. And they were breaking away from the US Army. Yeah, LSD does not enhance warfare. <laughs> like, <laughs> or it does so much so that you can't engage in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, and then they just flatly made it illegal. And there was research happening at the time as well. And yeah. they've shut them down as well. Well, yeah. they shut them down at the time. Yeah. But we do have some openings happening around the world now with research universities and, and governments. Yeah. It seems like there's a new consensus coming through of psychedelics as therapeutic medicine. The We could call, kind of go in two directions. One could be that there's this resurgence of psychedelic use in a more defined container that is used really specifically for certain types of therapy. And I'm sure the awareness and education that that will bring to people is going to be really positive, but it could also go in the direction of big pharma Mm. where it's like patenting versions of molecules from nature to market them. The problem with big pharma with this one is that you can get it naturally. And if they do put a paint in and you do it naturally, good on you. If you want to come after me, I'm worth nothing. That's what most people would be saying. But more importantly, most of the plant medicines, and and you talked about the receptors, the reason some of the um, plant medicine-based constituents are good is because they bind those receptors so that the drugs can then, the actual cocaine, you know, heroin, whatever, are then blocked out. And that's why it's a good treatment to do that. So that would be their main problem, wouldn't it, from pharmaceuticals, that it's actually curing something rather than creating more problems. I'm sure that that's part of the picture. Right. Um, is there any notable research that you know of that's being done right now or well, governments? I know that down in Melbourne there are some trials happening with psilocybin, mm-hmm. which is kind of new for Australia. We haven't had too many psychedelic which studies. Would be known, is that what's known as magic mushroom? Magic mushrooms, yep. but it's just – they're not using magic mushrooms. They're using psilocybin, synthetic. which is just like probably synthetic. I yeah. can't – I'm quite sure it's synthetic, but I could be wrong. But they're definitely definitely isolating out one of the components. And that's something that always happens in Western medicine. It's more predictable. When you're just working with one constituent, the effects can be documented. You know all the side effects. You know all the possible effects. And it's predictable. Whereas nature is not predictable. Mm. When you have a whole plant that's grown in a specific ecotone, its constituents are different from the one down the road. And the effect it'll have on you will be unique. So it's all like growing grapes. I mean, you yeah. know, th- there's that many different bottles of wine yeah. and there's some inc- extraordinary bottles of wine yep. and there's some really basic ones and that's the soil, the environment and everything yeah. that grows around. Everything that's going on. Right. Um, so the reason that I, um, so, so before um, taking any plant medicine myself, um, which would have been when I was 44 maybe, um, I'd never touched anything. No... Um, marijuana, never smoked, um, was never drunk until the age of 19, um, had, hadn't had a drink before the age of 19. And so this was a pretty big enforcement to me to do something which um, was what I would have considered um, a drug that I shouldn't be putting in my body only because I didn't understand it. Mm. But it was introduced to me by a mentor and said, look, you know, um, <laughs> You've got a big, you've got a big ego. 
And I always knew that. Uh, not always, I knew that. Um, and it was the it was the thing that I could see where I could get that out of the way so that I could get some more consciousness. But I want I wanted to do that quickly and I want to continue to do that quickly. I want to have more awareness and it was the source for me to for me to be able to do that. Now in saying that though, I don't know what's going on. And I'm, maybe you've you've given me some explanations to it, but do you want to talk about the different doses? Because for me, the small like I have to take massive doses to get some effect, and it's, it, to me, it sometimes feels with the plant medicine that massive doses make me feel more sick than the effects that I get. Yeah, that's rarer, but it definitely happens with some people. I found that people that are really in their mind, who especially if like the livelihood and their structures at home mean that they need to be in their mind. That's like their main tool, mm. their main form of income or whatever it is that they're channeling their mind to. Those people have the hardest time coming into their body and the plant medicine will first bring you into your body. And that often happens with purging or lots of physical sensations. That's like drawing the energy down so that all the channels can be cleared. And then later the visions come. But if someone's like, really really in their mind and somewhat disembodied in that sense like it can take a long time for that to happen and in that sense maybe it's just like not the right plan for them uh maybe it's for those people i tend to recommend that they start doing like a meditation practice or qigong or some kind of movement based therapy that doesn't involve thinking but rachel it's too slow I can't stop <laughs> thinking when I'm meditating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is explaining a lot. <laughs> okay, so your top three um, plant medicines starting at three, one being your best. Oh, oh that's so tricky. It's like trying to pick friends. Um, oh, I could do that easy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, you know, I live non-hierarchical. Yes, so of course, sorry. It's more of a spectrum of experience. Um, All right, so... Um, Okay, so number three would be the acacia. Yep. Like, I love the acacias because they contain DMT. They're used as, traditionally, they were used for smoke therapy when you would bring someone into the world or when someone was dying and you were celebrating them leaving the world. So they were always used in, like, moments of transition of really big rats of passage. And when you smoke it or you drink it with an MAOI inhibitor, like with ayahuasca or Syrian rue, the experience you have is profoundly, deeply connecting into the land and... Firstly, you have to move through the parts of yourself that probably have been quite neglected um, and reintegrate them into your being. And that's nauseating and confronting. But what comes after that, once you reassemble yourself, is very clear connection with the land, um, which is really, really grounding. And so Acacia is indigenous to Australia. Yeah. Which is, can I say it's the equivalent to ayahuasca in South America? It's equivalent to the DMT aspect in yeah. ayahuasca, which okay. is usually called trichruna. But yeah. yeah, people would call it ayahuasca. Right. Number two would be peyote, which is a new love of mine. It's a really old plant medicine that I've... Peyote, the, it's the cactus. It's a little button cactus yep. that has mescaline in it. It has a lot of different components in it that are very conflicting. So there's aspects of it that are stimulating and aspects of it that are hypnotic. Um, and so it, it kind of moves through all these different experiences. But the, the main thing I really love about it is the way that it blends the conscious and the subconscious mind together. So you have this lucid dream experience that you can't quite tell thought from visions, from memories. And it seems like when you go into those highly vulnerable states where the egoic mind and the thinking mind is very quiet, that there's a whole lot of um, 
well, it's communication that happens with our deeper self, but it feels like the parasympathetic nervous system is so strongly stimulated that you don't even necessarily have to have an aha moment to heal anything. It's like that is the healing process itself. It's the it's kind of like a trance state. Right. When you're out of the way, the body just gets on with healing. So what I love about it is that it can it can actually be kind of like chaotic in really random ways that seem nothing to do with what healing is is. And yet while all of that's going on behind the scenes, there's this assimilation of your deeper self with your more conscious self um, coming into alignment. And there's a whole lot of things can bubble up from that. Like lots right. of inner child medicine happens with peyote. Okay. Lots of joy and laughter. Number one. Number one, Ziboga, which is from the Dosed film. Uh, yes, that's that, right. So they used which, Diboga. Yeah. Um, so that's the last plant medicine I took. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and... Was it you that said that you only really ever do one iboga ceremony? Some people have more, but like at an initiation level, generally just one big one. Right. There's a rare few who like come back to it because they get a lot out of it. I'll say, well, for me, so I was saying to Josh today that I, I'm like, I think it's like pregnancy, I suppose. <laughs> you wouldn't do a second one if you remember the pain of the first one. Um, <laughs> I've never done it myself, but I've seen it. And um, it was for me... Well, firstly, let's talk about Wyaboga. Wyaboga is, um, from all of the plant medicines I work with and have witnessed over the many years of doing this crazy pirate thing, um, it seems to have like the longest like holding or sticking. It's like sometimes you have these big experiences and then you go back to your life and it just sort of fades away and it becomes a big memory of like, wow, that was that big experience. But the implications of those lessons don't necessarily get integrated without you doing a lot of work mm. with Iboga. It offers you so much assistance that it seems that even if you're kind of lazy with it, a lot of people still get heaps of positive effects that last years into the future. I just held my last retreat six weeks ago and did some phone call check-ins with all of the participants and, there are seven participants in this and six of the seven are cruising through life feeling so optimistic, so supported. Depression is not there anymore. The negative thought patterns, it, there's no effort to have to quieten them. They're just not there. The addictions are just not there. The coping mechanisms are not required. Um, and then one person is, is really just back to themselves. And statistically, that feels like really accurate right. with how it seems to work. PTSD is... Can can something be done with with PTSD? Yeah, I feel like with iboga, it can it it often puts you into this shaking muscle fatigue like experience where you can be tremoring, and there's so much research into the power of shaking. Like when animals go through trauma and in a stressful situation, they often will just go and shake afterwards and then carry on with their existence, and that's not something that we do anymore. So there's a therapy called TRE therapy that's been getting around and you induce muscle fatigue to shake. Iboga does something really similar. I've noticed that people that have PTSD or really deep trauma, sexual abuse and really um, dense trauma will often get put into just shaking and it's hours and hours of shaking and it seems to remove some, some deep tension from the nervous system that's, I guess, um, shaping their whole being. Yeah. So my experience there was, um, you know, the first, so it, so in, 
in its ceremony, we're talking four hours of um, taking the iboga every however long. Yeah, it's probably more than four, but it probably felt like four. <laughs> it, it, was, it was long, regardless. <laughs> so then that process goes and then it in, starts to integrate into your body and, and I, we were, I was lying down. Um, and so from that point onwards, how long we've got about, there's five, six hours after that as well. Is it? Yeah, it'd be like, I'd say like eight hours would be the acute experience yeah. of when you're still in it and processing yeah. it. And then a good 12 hours of not quite being yourself again, but you're not yeah. on the acute phases of the iboga. It's really introspective. I think what was amazing for me was, so I'll say up, I'll say up front, that there are people around me that that have noted a very distinct change in my energy and my being for the better over the last mm-hmm. eighteen months, two years, okay. and you're, you've been a big involvement in that. And so I want to. I noticed the change in your being from the person I met. Yeah, and I want to thank you for that. Oh, you're um, so welcome. <laughs> the the experience with Iboga, with the the awareness that woke up for me was the power of the brain and the information we hold within us. Because during during my time with the Oboga, I was in a process where it, it, it's so difficult to explain. But the, the, the main thing about it was it took me back to photos that I've got in the office here when I was a three-year-old or four-year-old standing next to a canoe. And I've got to show you this photo. And it took me back and sat me in my feet looking back and around and it was vivid as. And I thought, if that memory is in there, it's no wonder people with, you know, whether it be depression or PTSD or whatever, can actually get back to that place or at least get over it because somewhere in the back of your mind, that's what's creating it. And it's being held in this massive computer that no one on earth will ever compete against what what the brain can do. It was just incre- like a bizarre, incredible. What the what the hell's that? Like how how is that even possible? Was what I came out of. Um, sick for two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> so sick for two weeks because like you, um, well, anyone that does it has to have a strong heart. Yeah, you know, because it's it's a pretty hit, big hit on the body. Yeah, it's a big load on the body. Yeah, it's not a plant that's for everyone. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. So um, I was going to ask you something and I've lost it. What do you, so this is a property podcast, by the way. What, what, um, where do you want to go from here? You've been looking at different piece, bits and pieces of where to live and what to live and what to buy and, you know, where, where you're at. Yeah. Well, you know, I've kind of, gone through so many processes in my life of getting away from society and trying to be a hermit and being like really angry with how things are set up not in the favor of all being really driven by fairness and justness and realizing that that's just not a reality Mm. Um, and then kind of slowly integrating myself back in and studying and working as a health consultant and moving into the suburbs recently which has been big for me having lived out more in the forest for the last 10 years and I'm realizing that our real power is not out of the system. It's like we've got to be in the system to to manipulate it and change it. And that involves like, not like fitting in, but knowing how to move through it and how to language with people so that what you're really saying gets through. And I'm really loving playing with that now. 
being like more part of society and trying to like change it from within. So, so I really want to get land now and like actually be able to, which is funny because you can't own land, you know? So I'd like to pretend to own some land (laughs) so that I can utilize it for something useful. And I know that I'm only affecting a small amount of people, but it's a powerful for those small amount of people. And I realize that that's the level of change that I fit into. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, aiming too big, you just feel hopeless. You're nobody. But on the communal level, like the people that you can affect within your community in such a positive way is so rewarding. Yeah. And that's that's where I'm aiming for now as to like, how do I keep doing this stuff on the local level? I think there's a lot in that with what you just said. Um, the amount of people that push back on authority and, and uh, you know, see it as a very different thing. You, the way that you just said, was you, you worded it perfectly. There's so much power in playing in the system to be able to (laughs) manipulate it for the way that you want it to be for the better. And, you know, the classic example for me was at school. I went to a Catholic school and um, I topped religion for the state. Wow. Because I told them what they wanted to hear, not Uh, what I believed. Right. (laughs) Um, And and I'm trying to teach my 16-year-old that the power is in knowing that you can make someone believe or do something not in a bad way because in a good way because you actually want to you just want to appease what they are but the power is in being able to walk away going they thought that they got me on that one and i'm walking away knowing and that and that's essentially the a breakdown of ego as well yeah like can you play the game but still remember who you truly are yeah exactly yeah. And, and and again it, 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 these words may sound like you're manipulative or that you're trying to do something illegal or you say it's not about that it's just being yourself um and knowing that if i'm talking to someone and i know they're not going to change their mind there's no use me trying to change their mind yeah like i can just let them think that they that i'm on their page and just have it because some people are just too difficult to, to appease um but so, if you really want your view to get across, people need to first be seen. And so you, you kind of, you see people, you don't have to defend yourself or combat with them. And then from this place, that's actually when they open their minds. Yeah. So it's actually a good technique to get your message across is firstly, don't fight with people, see them, resonate empathetically with their situation and then speak your truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, you go into a pub someone puts their fists up and you put your fists up, well, it's on. Yep. But if you put your hands up and say, look, I'm not into this, and they, they'll back down or they'll look stupid for hitting you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is what sometimes happens. Yeah, you got to okay. pick your battles. So you're looking at purchasing property and obviously you're going to grow a lot of stuff on there. Obviously need a lot of advice from you. It's <laughs> like totally outside of my realm of how to acquire land, but I'm on a mission with it now. It's good. And you, and you seem to be doing well in business too. Yeah, things are going really well. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so if they, if anyone wanted to contact you, um, what's the best way? Um, yeah, I guess you could visit visit my website. Probably the best way to see some of the projects that I'm a part of, and then you'll find a contact form. It's called Entheo Botanica. So that's spell it. Okay, like E N T H E O B O T A N I C A dot org dot org. Um, I just want to thank you again. Um, I've already done it once, but I just want to thank you again for, for the change you've made for me and also coming in and talking to everyone. Um, I know you could talk for hours um, on what you do and um, the good that you're doing in the world is amazing. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I feel the same with you. <laughs>
So there you have it. What an interesting story and what a beautiful energy that she holds. She speaks so eloquently and uh, it's been awesome to actually run into her by accident. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And for the next one, make sure you click follow and subscribe. We'll see you next time on Small Talk Big Ideas. Thanks for tuning in to the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope we've succeeded in our goal to inspire and challenge you. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Small Talk Big Ideas with Ian Ugarte.